BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022. It's about 11.05 in the morning. You can see who my guest is. He needs no introduction to those of you uh, watching us now. He is what we call in television the tent post, the person who pushes the tent up the highest uh, in terms of those of you who want to hear him because of his background, because of his experience, because of his understanding, and because of his intellectual honesty in matters of intelligence and in matters of defense. He is, of course, Scott Ritter. Scott, it's a pleasure. As always, welcome back to Judging Freedom. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I I like to have you on periodically, uh, not only because the audience uh, loves to hear you, but just to educate the audience and to educate me. Now, the war in or the military in action in uh, Ukraine has been going on for five months. Who's winning? Who's losing? And where's it going? Well, I mean, there's there's no question that at this point in time, Russia's winning, Ukraine is losing, and there literally is nothing on the horizon that suggests this outcome is going to change. And I apologize for laughing because this is actually one of the more tragic. All wars are tragic. I mean, uh, it's the it's humans killing humans and. Um, it should absolutely be the last resort people ever resort, you know, turn to. Um, and this one especially, it, it did not need to happen. Um, Ukrainians are being slaughtered. Uh, Russians are dying uh, by the scores. Uh, a nation is being destroyed. A region is in turmoil. So my, my chuckle wasn't in any way, um, you know, uh, making light of the horrible right, reality. Right, of Ukraine. Right, right, it was, right, right. It was more in reference to, it's, it's one of those, you know, inadvertent laughs that you have when um, a question, and not, not because I disrespect the question, but the question is, it's just so obvious. Um, right. I mean, anybody who's looking at the situation um, with any kind of um, objective, you know, responsible analytical framework knows what's happening, knows what's going on. The frustrating thing is that we have policymakers in the United States and in Europe who know exactly what I just said. Uh, who know it to be true, and yet for um, for for reasons that have nothing to do with Ukraine winning, but rather how many Russians can they kill before all Ukrainians are dead, are continuing to support this war, push this war. So it's it's one of those laughs you give before you get into a bar fight. It wasn't uh, understood. Understood. I was talking about a Supreme Court case the other day involving a. A Catholic football coach who was fired for kneeling on the fifty-yard line and saying the Hail Mary. I mean, it's enough to make you smile. It's terrible that he was fired in the case. Right, we go all the way to the Supreme Court, but it's it's an only in America, and it all it makes you chuckle that people would fire somebody for doing such a thing. For doing something like the, that, yeah. Right, but back to the war. Your uh, colleague and um, our uh, friend 
uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor says the war is over uh, and the Ukrainians have lost, Ukrainians have lost, and the portion of Ukraine that Russia controls generates 80% when it's able to, to work in peacetime uh, of Ukraine's gross uh, domestic product. And he agrees entirely with you that the reason we're still sending uh, material over there is because Tony Blinken and his nationalist buddies, he's the Secretary of State, his colleagues in, the, uh, in Western Europe, want to pick a fight with Russia. Yeah. No, you're, it, it, it's not that they want to pick a fight. You know, I, I'd still disagree with the policy, but I'd have a heck of a lot more respect for Tony Blinken if he wanted to pick a fight with Russia. Because, you know, I, I, again, you walk into a bar and you see Mike Tyson, you want to pick a fight with Mike Tyson? Walk up, hit him in the face. Okay, pay the consequence, but at least you had the guts to do that. Tony Blinken is the guy that comes in and encourages other people to hit fight Mike Tyson. He doesn't want to have anything to do with that. America's not picking a fight with Russia. We're running away from a fight. We're having other people fight for us. Who Who is fighting in Ukraine now for the Ukrainians? Is it their regular military? Is it the Nazi militias? Or is it their uh, their version of the National Guard? Are they, are they on the last line of humans available, males available to them uh, to fight the Russians? Well, you know, they started with about 260,000 active duty forces. Um, then they, they, they can supplement that with, say, 60,000 what we call nationalist forces. These are the, the Nazis. Um, and then you have a combination of reserves and the, um, the, the territorial defense units, sort of their national guard. Uh, and there's 600,000 600, uh, of those, depending on how many they, they mobilize. What we're seeing now is a mix. Uh, the, the active duty forces are still there. They've taken losses. They've taken heavy losses. And many of them have been pulled back to regroup and re-equip with this new NATO equipment uh, to buy time while this is taking place of the reserves and also the territorial defense units are being thrown into the uh, mix. The reserves, um, not so bad. They, they are well-equipped um, and they're well-trained. And, you know, they, it's like, you know, the American reserves, you know, they're not quite as good as the Af guys because they only do it on, you know, one week in every month, but they're okay. The territorial defense guys are literally um, your your volunteer firefighters, your lawyers, your cops who are brought together. And the purpose of territorial defense is to defend the territory of your home city, like Delmar. If Delmar formed a territorial defense unit, my job would be to guard the intersection up here. My, my job would be guard the bridge leading into my town to patrol my streets. What they're doing is taking these guys and then throwing them hundreds of miles away from their home into the front line with no training, no equipment, bad leadership. And their job is basically to buy one or two days before they all die. And then they throw in the next bunch. So, so these how, are the much guys longer, taking how much longer, Scott, can this go on? And when is the next time that Blinken and Biden will ask the Congress for another $50 billion? Well, I, I imagine that, I mean, we're going to be seeing um, the United States ponying up a billion here, two billion there, three billion there going forward. I don't think you're going to see any more big numbers. You don't have to. We have the Lend-Lease program now. So now it's just a matter of uh, of the president going to Congress and saying, all right, we need to pull another billion dollars out of uh, American uh, resources, you know, whether we start giving them M1 tanks, more artillery, uh, whatever, you know, we're just going to be pulling that out, giving it to the Ukrainians uh, for as long as they're able to fight. The, you know, the the, the thing here right now is uh, what is the pain threshold for, for, for Ukraine? The Russians have already made it clear. <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing. I don't mean, but 
Right. Man, well, they have no pain threshold. They have no. First of all, they're not. They're not. They, they took all their pain up front. I mean, they got smacked three or four times in the face. They got a bloody nose. They lost a tooth. I uh, got a swollen eye. Um, since then, they're patting everything away. Every once we'll get a rib shot, but they're they're pounding, pounding. The question now is, how many more rounds can Ukraine go? Because they're going down. They're going down for the count. Um, you know, they've they've done. I think their sixth mobilization wave. Now there's talk of a seventh. Um, but you're you're scraping the bottom bottom of the barrel now. You have no more trained troops. Everything you throw in right now will be poorly trained troops. So how irrational? How irrational is it of Secretary of State Blinken? And and I'm sorry to say we keep we keep pointing to him because who the heck knows what Joe Biden knows? But how irrational is it of the administration to think that somehow this investment of 56 billion, which keeps growing in in military equipment? can have a happy outcome. You know, I'm not a lawyer. You were the judge. If I uh, if I was making a case, though, I would attach criminality to this the, because it uh, we, we have to get into intent. Um, and they know, it's clear now that they know they've been briefed that Ukraine cannot win. So they know that what they're doing is not going to change the outcome. What they're doing is murdering Ukrainians uh, for the hope that they can kill enough Russians in the process to weaken Russia so they can't do things such as make a move on Lithuania. You know, the Lithuanians just shut uh, the rail line uh, to connecting uh, Russia with uh, Kaliningrad, violation of a 20-year treaty. And Russia said there will be no diplomatic outcome here. Uh, if you don't change, we're going to resolve this using practical measures, which means the military is going to go in and smack them. The Blinken's goal is to make Russia so weak that they can't do that. They can't defend Transnistria. They can't defend Russian interests. Uh, and Blinken is high. I mean, I, 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 that's the only thing I can think of because the Russians are have not exhausted. They haven't even come close to exhausting their, their national capacity to wage war because they're not at war. This is a special military operation. Russia still has a whole level it can go to in terms of war fighting. And right now, the military that they're 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 fighting with in Ukraine is the most seasoned, combat capable military in the world. These guys are good. We have a good army. I'm not putting down our Marines and our soldiers, but any combat experience we have chasing insurgents in Iraq and Afghanistan, we have nothing to compare to what the Russians are bringing to bear. And uh, they do it at the battalion, brigade, division, corps level. We can't even dream of doing something like this over the brigade level. One of um Tony Blinken's friends and colleagues in the globalist movement, General Sir Patrick Sanders, chief of the general staff of the British military, I guess the the rough counterpart to the American chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the, yep. the senior military guy, said just two days ago, British boys are being trained to fight World War III on European soil. Now, why the hell would he say something like that? I don't think he could say something like that without um, uh, Prime Minister uh, Johnson wanting that, and maybe he wants it to divert the British public's attention from his domestic woes, some of which are serious, some of which are absurd. But why would this general make a statement like that? The United States Marine Corps, your, your former colleagues, have more human beings than than the British Army. Does he really <laughs> want to send these kids to Ukraine? I, I think I think he is spinning 
um, what is a statement of fact. Uh, the British military today is doing what the United States military is doing, which is transitioning away from low intensity conflict in Afghanistan and Iraq toward um, whatever capacity they can contribute, <laughs> which isn't much, to large scale ground combat in Europe. You know, the British military today is um, it's an amalgam of, of, of once um, famous units. I mean, it, the British Army had some of the most storied units, the, 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 the history of these units. Uh, date back to you know Napoleon at Waterloo and beyond, and since then they dissolved them. They brought them together until you know, what, instead of one battalion, you've got four battalions worth of history in one unit. What I'm trying to say is it's shrunk. I think they've got eighty thousand people total. I think they can put two brigades in the field total. Um, so go ahead and train for war with Russia. Your your military will be wiped off the map day one, and then we'll get on with the rest of the, the NATO forces. It, okay. it's, 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 but but yeah. the point I want to ask you about is, in your opinion, is this general, who is the highest ranking general in, in Great Britain, trying to acclimate the public for what might be inevitable, which is a war between Russia and the West? I don't think so, because the, the British Army is incapable of fighting a war, with, and, and he knows that. I think what's happening is, like the rest of NATO, Britain has been caught out uh, with this war. They actually believed that sanctions were going to destroy the Russian economy and that the Russians were going to suffer a crippling military defeat early on. And the fact that Russia has not only you know, flip the, 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 the script on sanctions, but their military is crushing the Ukrainians. Uh, the British, like the rest of NATO, are in a panic. And so what do you do when you panic? You put on a good front, you put on a good face, you put on a good show. But his, he is speaking words that literally can't be backed up with anything real, just like the rest of NATO. They, Jan Stoltenberg can sit there and say anything he wants. The fact is NATO doesn't have a military capable of standing up to the Russians right now. So uh, there are two Americans, soldiers of fortune, uh, American military uh, veterans who went to Ukraine on their own, joined uh, the units, uh, fought the Russians, and uh, were captured. Uh, the Kremlin says that uh, they're, they're not prisoners of war. They're not protected by the Geneva Convention. They weren't wearing uniforms. Uh, they're terrorists, and they're going to be executed. If that happens, will that... Uh, accelerate the proxy war between Russia and the United States in any way? I don't believe so. I mean, first of all, let me just say, as an American, um, I want these boys coming home. I want them reunited with their families. Um, you know, they've they made a horrible mistake, and um, I, I would not like to see them uh, executed. Um, if they have to do a prison sentence, I'd like to see them sentenced and then come home. Uh, Russia doesn't gain anything by holding on to these people, except here's the important part, the deterrence value. I mean, you're a judge. You understand the uh, power of, uh, of sentencing. Uh, right. You may have a person in front of you who you personally feel probably doesn't warrant X, Y, and Z in the sentence. But from a deterrence value, if you're going to deter people from committing the crimes, um, you have to show that a price must be paid. And Russia has said from the beginning that if you're fighting for Ukraine, you're not a prisoner of war. You're not a soldier. You're a mercenary, and you will held be be held accountable. And um, you know, so I, I think I you know, we'll see what the Russians do. They're not stupid. They're not foolhardy. Somebody's going to pay a price. Um, hopefully, not these Americans. Hopefully, the Russians can find a way to um, 
to parley them parley them off for uh, Russians who have been imprisoned here in the United States, and there can be an outcome that doesn't require these guys dying. But they put themselves in this situation. They should not have been there. And um, you know, it's hard to believe the veracity of what people are saying under stress. But you know, they're of course all apologetic now. I would like to interview them two days before they were captured, see what kind of chest thumping "we're here to kill Russian" speech they would have given. Because they're given the exact opposite right now, saying we didn't understand what was going on, et cetera, et cetera. I hope people are listening, and I hope any Americans who are thinking about going there or Americans who are there right now are saying we need to get the heck out of there because it's literally, guys, death sentence. Don't don't stay. What will it take for Secretary of State Blinken, Secretary uh, of State Austin, and eventually uh, the president himself? to realize that this is a, a losing endeavor and there's not much more we can do. We might as well take our toys and go home. I don't think, um, I don't think these, these people are capable of that. President Biden, maybe. I, I think what's going to happen is in November, um, I think the American people are going to speak and um, the president's going to find himself politically isolated with the Republican Congress. I think Tony Blinken's days are numbered. I don't think he's going to serve into the next term. Neither do I think Lloyd Austin will. I think there's going to be a cleaning of the House because these people have embarrassed this president and the Democratic Party by extension, and the American people. And uh, I think when the American people vote, the, the Biden administration is going to have to make a, you know, a, a total clean slate and try to come up with a policy that, um, that defends American interests, not Ukrainian interests, et cetera. But in the meantime, these guys are too politically committed. Uh, Blinken will not alter course. Austin is incapable of altering course. Jake Sullivan is same same thing. And and this president is a prisoner of his advisors. I mean, I'm not, you know, we'll just leave it at that. I, I don't think this president has the the stamina or the will or the intellectual capacity to um, to challenge these advisors on a, in a on a sustained basis. Okay, last uh, question or a series of questions. Have the Ukrainian people um, changed their attitude about the war? Well, it depends on what Ukrainian people were talking about. I think, first of all, the, 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 the Russian, ethnic Russians, they're, they're on the side of Russia. The, um, the Western Ukrainians, they're as nationalistic as ever. Remember, um, Berlin was populated by diehard Nazis up until the very end, people who believed in, in, in the Nazi system and Adolf Hitler. And uh, Ukraine right now has a significant portion of its population who are Ukrainian nationalists of the national socialist mold, uh, people who believe in Ukrainian ethnic supremacy and the righteousness of their cause. And, um, you know, and, and, and they're never going to change their mind till either they flee for their lives or a bullet strikes them dead. Um, but there are a large number of Ukrainians in the middle, patriotic Ukrainians, who uh, want to defend their country, but are starting to question this, the price being paid and why it's being paid. Uh, look, when, when Poroshenko, the former president, came out and admitted that the Minsk Peace Accords was always a front, always a sham, uh, put forward to buy time for NATO to train Ukrainian forces to defeat the Russians in the Donbass, um, that means that Ukraine has sold its soul to NATO and this is a NATO war. And I think there's a lot of Ukrainians saying, this is not what we want. This is not what we wanted. This is not what we were told was happening. Uh, the Russians apparently are right. Uh, you, the NATO was using Ukraine. Um, and I, I think you're seeing the Ukrainian government losing support of those Ukrainians. Scott Ritter, always a pleasure. No matter what we're talking about, 
Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll see you again soon. Thanks for having me. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.